morning. How many of you enjoyed Dylan, uh, Dil Yanni, who shared last week? Come on, it was just absolutely awesome having Dylan uh, with us and, and a privilege to have him also just speak into our church. I got to spend um, some time with him while he was here in Joburg. We went around, we uh, sat down, had a lot of coffee and a lot of meals and just talked about church and talked about the future. And, uh, and at one point, Dil asked me the question. He said, he said, Adrian, what is it that makes you come alive? So what is it that makes you come alive? Has anybody ever asked you that question? Like, what makes you come alive? And uh, basically, my answer to him was seeing other people come alive. That's what makes me come alive, especially when people get the gospel, especially when people hear about what Jesus has done for them, and you can see it in their eyes. You can see how people are often, I see it in church regularly. It's part of our story. It's part of our journey that people will come into this place and there will be a reluctance to what is happening here. There'll be a reluctance to the words that are spoken. There will be a skepticism and, and, and possibly even a little bit of a fearfulness. And, 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 and those that keep coming, you'll see that, that sometimes, I remember one guy, he kept coming for uh, several months and every single Sunday, he wouldn't respond. He wouldn't worship. He wouldn't sing. He would just stand there kind of like a statue, but he He's here. And all the time, God's just chipping away at him. It's like he can't keep himself from coming back. He doesn't seem to enjoy it when he's here, but he just can't help but come back. And, uh, and one day, just bam, the lights go on. And you can just see how people come alive when they recognize what Jesus has done for them. And I love that. That's what makes me come alive is seeing people come alive, seeing people be switched on by the gospel, switched on by the good news of what Jesus has done. It's like, it's like when you realize that everything that we read about, everything that Jesus did on the cross, everything that you've heard, all the lessons that you learned about in Sunday school, it's when you realize that all of this was for you. Actually for you as an individual. Jesus did it for you. He did it because of his great love for you. It's like when I got my first car uh, just before I turned 18. And uh, I got home and saw a car in the driveway. It was a white 1600 Mazda Etude. Man, I loved that car. And I was standing in the driveway. And at first, I thought that people were visiting. I didn't know it was my car. So I was like, oh, it's a car. And then I went inside. And then I realized that's actually my car. That's my car. And it's like all of a sudden, it went from just being a car to being my car. It was for me. I realized that that was for me, and it changed the way I looked at that car. It changed my entire demeanor in that moment. I mean, I jumped in. I wanted to see every little corner of this car. I wanted to hear the sound of the engine and take it for a drive and feel what it felt like. I wanted to switch seats, sit in the passenger side, feel, feel what it feels like there, feel what it feels like in the back, uh, open up the boot, just check it all out. And that's what happens when you get switched onto the gospel. It goes from, oh, the gospel, I heard about what Jesus did. I've read about what he did on the cross. That's for, that's for other people. That's for religious people, right? That's for people that go to church every Sunday. It's not really for me. I don't really know if I connect with that. And then in a moment, you recognize it was for you. This whole thing, this, this gospel, it's for you. The good news is your good news. The restoration that Jesus brings is your restoration. The life that he has is for you. It's your life that he wants to change. And when you see that, you just want to get into it. You just want to know it more. You want to grow in it. You want to understand it. You want to look at it from different perspectives. You want to drive this thing and see where it takes you. And so it's always a privilege for me to be able to share the gospel and see people becoming a little bit more switched on. And I've got to tell you, I'm passionate about it. 
we don't just do courses so that we have courses. We don't just preach sermons so that we can say we've preached sermons. I want to see us go on a journey together as a church. And if you're wondering about whether or not you should be a part of this church, the only question you really have to ask is, do you want to go on a journey of discovering more of Jesus? Because if that's you, then I want to invite you, come on this journey with us. Allow the, the, the Spirit to speak to you. Allow God to do what it is that He wants to do in your heart and in your life. We've been doing a series in the Gospel of John, and in the series, we've been, we've been looking at the Gospel from these different perspectives. We've been looking at Jesus and who He is, and it's like John is showing us who Jesus is. John is unpacking Jesus for us, and he wants to let us know exactly what it is that Jesus came to bring to your life, what it is that He came to do, what it is that, that his, his walk and His sacrifice on the cross and, and the finished work of the cross, what it produces in your life. And he does this unpacking Jesus by one picture after another. Right from the beginning, we see how John uses these pictures. And actually, Jesus himself begins to speak. We've got the seven I am statements where he goes, I am the bread of life. He stands up at a feast and he says, if anybody is thirsty, come and, and I will give them something to drink. I am the water. I am the bread. I am, uh, you know, and he continues speaking about who he is. In the beginning, it was like Jesus was a little bit reluctant almost to do the first w uh, miracle at the, at, at the wedding uh, where he turned water into wine because he wasn't sure if it was his time yet. And then there was an acceleration and he did the miracle. And all of a sudden, people started to recognize this is not just another religious teacher. This is God. This is the creator who came to change the game. And we've looked at that, how it starts slowly in more subtle ways. Jesus is revealing himself. And then it gets to this point where we're now in John chapter number 10. And by John 10, Jesus is just outright saying it. I mean, he is going for it. He is telling the, the people who he is, what he came to do. And the, the pictures, the images are just becoming more overt and, and, uh, and more obvious to see. This is what Jesus is saying. This is who he is, and this is what he came to do. And it's actually becoming offensive, specifically to the religious people. You know what's interesting to note in Scripture is that it wasn't the sinners that were offended by Jesus. Go and check it out. It's not the sinners who were offended. It's not the prostitutes who were offended. It's not the tax collectors, the thugs that were offended. It's not the thieves. It's the religious people who were offended by him. The sinners had no problem receiving from Jesus because they were already in a place of honesty. They're like, yeah, I know I need this. <laughs> I know I need Jesus. I know I need a savior. I know I need someone to step into my life and to change me. I'm aware of it. But it was the religious people who struggled to receive from Jesus. And so Jesus gets into these, these to and fro's, these conversations with the religious people, the, the offended Pharisees, and he begins to contrast things through his statements. And today we're going to look at one of these, these places where Jesus is actually having a conversation with the Pharisees, telling them who he is and, and how they have missed it. He's making the, this massive statement about himself that's genuinely offensive to the religious. In John 10, which we're going to be in today, if you have your Bibles, you can open up so long at John chapter number 10. Jesus is contrasting himself with the religious leaders of the day. He's showing who he is 
and how what, what he is and what he came to do compares to the religious leadership that Israel had become used to. And it flows out of the end of chapter number nine, where Jesus actually offends again the Pharisees and he's speaking to them. And he says that although they think they see, they are actually blind. And so they actually ask him the question. They say, so are you saying, are we also blind? Are you saying that we as Pharisees are blind? And Jesus answers by what we read in John 10. So this is the answer to the question as religious leaders, are we blind as well? Jesus, are you saying that we're blind? I mean, we've been studying the law. We've been studying the Torah. We've been, we've been, we've been learning about this stuff since we were kids. Are you telling us that we're also blind? Jesus goes, hang on, let me just turn the page and go to John 10 and tell you what I have to say. Okay, he didn't do that, but you know what I'm saying. John 10 verse 1. So let's read it together. John 10 verse 1. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will never follow a stranger, but will run away from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus told them this. Jesus told them this parable, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Then Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. These are the I am statements. I am the shepherd. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and that they have it, may have it more abundantly. So much in this passage of Scripture. So excited to share with you this morning. But let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump into John chapter number 10. Father, we thank you so much this morning that you are here speaking to us, that you are here, God, working in our hearts, that you are here opening up our minds, God, that you're here breaking off religious stereotypes, God, any kind of predisposition that we may have, any kind of prejudice that we may have, any kind of misunderstanding that we may be dwelling in. Father, we thank you that this morning there is a clarity of your word. There is a clarity of the gospel coming through into our hearts and minds and lives this morning that will cause us to trust in you as our shepherd. Thank you, Father, that you stepped in and you called us by name. We recognize the voice of our Father. We recognize the voice of our Savior, and we will not follow the voice of a stranger. Thank you, Lord, that this morning we can hear that voice. We can be led by your Spirit, and we can grow in your Word. In Jesus' name, Everybody said, amen. Um, I don't know if, uh, if any of you have, have ever been robbed um, of something, but since you live in Joburg, I'm going to assume that all of us have been robbed more than once, right? Um, I, it's a horrible, horrible feeling 
being robbed, having something that belongs to you taken away and realizing in that moment that you've been robbed. I remember parking my car outside one night and getting to it in the morning and, and finding that they had broken into my car, stole my radio, um, and they stole a bag out of, out of my boot. They opened up my boot, grabbed a bag, and the bag just had some books and stuff in. But like one of those books, I was busy reading, and I remember how mad it made me. I was like, I was halfway through that book. You know, I already paid for that book. I don't want to go buy another one. And just feeling so offended that I had been, had been robbed. It was actually funny. They opened up my speaker covers and looked at my speakers and then just left them. And they were like, nah, this guy, no, it's not worth it. Just leave him. Um, so, so being robbed is, is a horrible feeling. But something that's a little bit worse than being robbed is being scammed. I find that worse because of the existing relationship that exists or that, that occurs in a scam. If somebody has scammed you out of something, they presented themselves as something they weren't really, they were deceptive from the beginning, and you get scammed out of something. I've often tried to sell stuff on Gumtree or OLX, and if you've ever tried to do that, you'll know the scamsters are always phoning, and there's always a courier involved, and a son that's just about to move to Australia, and I mean, I have heard it all, right? I've sold quite a few things on there, and, and, and so now what I do is I start lecturing these guys. I mean, I start... I start preaching the gospel to them. You know, I had a guy phone me the other day. He started with the whole, you know, because in the beginning, I was like, I'll give them a chance. Let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. And, and then I could hear, uh, this is going downhill. This is definitely a scam. And I stopped and I said, hey, bud, when you were a kid, is this what you dreamt about doing with your life? Did you think one day I'm going to sit in a dingy office scamming innocent people out of their money? I mean, come on. There's still time for you. I'm on the phone. I was standing outside a builder's warehouse. I remember so clearly. I'm like, there is still time for you. Turn your life around and make something of yourself. He was like, okay, I'll call you back. Um, <laughs> just like passionately making a plea to these guys. Just don't do this. Being scammed out of your money is so horrible. I remember my wife and I, when we were um, still quite young, um, I mean, we're still young, but we were younger, early 20s, and uh, we had kind of dreamed about uh, getting an SUV so that we could go into the Kruger Park. We love going into the park and taking photos and doing stuff like that. And we wanted to get, uh, you know, a good secondhand SUV. We had a trip to the Kruger coming up in a few days. And we just kind of a little bit spontaneous was like, let's just drive into this dealership and let's just see if we can find something and we can buy it today. And, you know, next week we're in the Kruger with our new car. And um, we, we, we got to this dealership. We drove in there. And we said to the guy, do you guys have anything, a four by four SUV, something nice? And he walked out. I mean, this guy had no doubt in his mind. He just pointed. He was like, that X-Trail right there. I think it was about 120,000, pretty low kilometers. We're like, that's a good deal. He's like, that's the one. I was like, are there others? He's like, no, that car right there, that's the one. And so we get into it. And I like the feel of the car. I look down and I remember thinking that there's something missing here. Like there should be something in the center console. There's kind of a bit of a gap there. So I'm like, is there something missing here? He's like, no, no, that's how it is. So I was like, okay, I'll take his word for it. It feels a little bit funny though, but we drive the car. It feels okay. He doesn't let us really drive far. We just turn the whole time going around the block, park the car again. We get pre-approval pre for the finance. Finance is, financing is sorted. Everything's done. All we have to do is sign on the dotted line. But something is feeling a little bit off to me. And I think it was the fact that every time I walked back into the, the sales office, everybody would kind of 
you know, like they're aware that we're there. They're kind of slowly looking up and then looking down, like, like something suspicious is going on. And so just before I sign the final papers, I phone my dad and I'm like, hey, dad, don't you just want to come and look at this car uh, before we do this deal? Just make 100% sure that there's nothing wrong with it. And so my dad drives through. He arrives. We take it for a test drive. My dad doesn't do test drives like I do test drives. Like I'm too afraid to really like race a car. My dad doesn't care. He just flies up the hill. And the moment we're flying up the hill, there's this horrible noise. And basically the turbo on that diesel engine was blown. So this guy is selling this young couple. He's like, this is my opportunity to get rid of this thing once and for all. And he's trying to sell us a car with a blown, uh, with, with a blown turbo, which will cost about 30,000 rand to, to replace. And I remember feeling so disappointed in this guy, just being like, man. And, and I even phoned him the next day. I was like, I really hope that you didn't know that that thing was blown. Uh, because if you did, man, it is so bad. Like I just want, I want him, I want him to feel bad. I really want him to feel bad because he was about to scam us out of uh, money that we were really stretching to afford as a young couple. And and still the other day, uh, and maybe I need Jesus to help me with forgiveness. But the other day, I drove past that dealership and I wanted to go back in and go. But I really hope, I really hope you didn't know that that car was blown. Man, I just, you know. So yeah, so now we yeah. Let me let me not knock it, but um, but that was how we that was how we felt. Being scammed is one of the worst things. And what Jesus is saying here is something to the same effect that that anger that I felt towards a guy trying to scam us out of uh, you know out of a good car um, is 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 similar to I think what Jesus felt regarding the religious leaders. He's like you're scamming the people. You're robbing the people. You're presenting something to to them that looks like it's going to add to their lives, that looks like it's going to bless them, that looks like it's going to be something good, something sturdy, something reliable, something to to see them through the difficult seasons. You're, You're presenting this religious ideal that looks like it is for the people, but once they get into it, what they're going to realize is that they've actually been shortchanged, they've been robbed, they've been scammed. And Jesus doesn't like to see people robbed, to see people scammed, to see people come into a, a relationship with him with, with the idea that, that certain things need to be done and, and, and certain precepts need to be followed only to find out later that, that that whole idea, that whole religious philosophy falls short of what it really means to know God and to walk in a relationship with him. So Jesus is taking the religious leaders on here. He's saying, you were charged with guiding the people of Israel, leading them spiritually. But you haven't entered through the door. You haven't entered through the door. You haven't stayed, remained true to the gospel. You haven't remained true to, to what it is that God promised. So he says, what you did was, Instead of coming through the door, you climbed up some other way. It's like you made your own system. You made your own ladder. You made your own way of getting into the sheepfold, and it's not through the door. It's in your own strength. Because that's ultimately what climbing denotes. If you've ever climbed a mountain or climbed a hill, or you know, depending on how fit you are, maybe even climbed a ladder, and you got to the top, and you're like, man, I am unfit. Have you ever done that? 
like, go to Cape Town. We're from Joburg, man. We're tough. We'll take this mountain on. Three steps in, I'm dying. I'm literally dying. Someone bring the helicopters. Take me home. You know, I need a, I need a rest. Uh, climbing is hard. And what Jesus is saying to people is that those who climb up another way, who don't come through Jesus, who don't come through the door, they're ultimately robbing you. Any system of religion, any program, any procedure that you have heard about, about how you're supposed to get into the sheepfold, become a part of the people of God, become a part of the flock of God, that isn't through the grace of God, that isn't through the door of Jesus Christ, is robbing you. It's robbing you. It's stealing from the people. It's a scam. It's self-effort. And one thing I want us all to be very clear on is that none of us will be made right or stay right with God through our own efforts. I hope that God just settles that in our souls because subtly we still believe that we're right with God based on what we do or what we don't do. Jesus says that you're not the true shepherd. You're not the true shepherd because you've taught people to climb up some other way some religious program to be followed rather than meeting with a person called Jesus. In Romans 10, Paul writes about this and he says in Romans 10 verse 2, he says, For I testify about them that they have zeal for God. A lot of people have zeal for God. They're passionate about the things of God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, their passion, their zeal is, is misguided. You can be passionate and be passionately wrong about something. I've been there many, many, many times. I'm like, passionate, passionate. This is the thing. I remember playing a rugby game once and, uh, and, and in my head, the score was different to what our uh, guys were putting up on the scoreboard. It was a home game. And so as the captain of the team, every time I ran past, I was abusing these guys. At one point I looked at them and I'm saying, get it right, get it right. Like get the score right. You're putting the wrong score on the board. And they're going, it's, but it's the score. That is the score. And I'm like, you missed. And then I, only when I got off the field, I found out, no, they actually, they had the right score and I had the wrong score. So I was passionate about having the right thing up on the board, but what I thought was right was actually wrong. And so you can be passionately wrong about something. And that's what Paul says. These guys have got zeal for God, but they got, their zeal is not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of God's righteousness being right with God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, climbing up some other way, they did not submit to the righteousness of God. In other words, they didn't receive God's grace. They wanted to do it for themselves. Christ, he says, is the end of the law unto righteousness for everyone who believes. When Jesus comes into your life, it means that it is the end of you getting your righteousness through following or obeying the law. Your righteousness is now based in the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And ironically, only when you are in the grace of God, when you know who you are in Christ, will you begin to automatically fulfill the law. Does anybody here do CrossFit? I'm surprised you didn't put up your hand. How do you know? How do you know that when somebody does CrossFit? They'll tell you. They'll tell you they do CrossFit. Right? That's how you know when somebody does CrossFit. And the Pharisees are like spiritual CrossFitters. Right? They are telling 
everybody about CrossFit. They are telling everybody about how you're supposed to climb up, do this box jump into the sheepfold of God. This is how you do it. This is how you got to get low. You got to go into that squat and then you just got to have this explosive power. Hey, watch, we do it all the time. Let us show you how to do a box jump into the sheepfold of God. And they're just enlisting people like CrossFitters do. Hey man, you got to come with me. Man, you just got to come with me. This is amazing. It's going to change your life. And they're doing that. They're enlisting people to this spiritual CrossFit box about, that involves entering the sheepfold via the law. And they're, they're enlisting people for this, they're taking the people of Israel on this journey because they believe themselves to be the spiritual, the fittest spiritual guys around. And what they were getting the people to do is to get on the spiritual treadmill. People are just getting on a spiritual treadmill. And it doesn't involve faith. That's the problem. Even if their attempt to obey the law was still based on in faith in the gospel and the promised Messiah, this was no longer that. This was them finding their significance and their righteousness in how well they could obey the law rather than having faith in God. Faith is the, is the issue here. And when your faith is in yourself and what you can do, it's no longer in God. So they are just these committed crossfitters getting people onto a treadmill. And to be honest with you, that is why people still don't like church much. A lot of people see church and what we do here on a Sunday and what we're involved with as a community as just getting onto another spiritual treadmill. And they're just like, I just don't, you know, it's like anybody who's ever gotten on a treadmill, it seems like a good idea at first. You know, three minutes in, you, you're thinking to your head, I can't stop now. There's people all around. But why do I do this to myself? Why do I forget every time I walk back in here? Just stay away from the treadmill. Just don't do it. But you go back and you get back onto it. And for a lot of people, that's what church begins to feel like. Hey, I'm just like, I've been told I've got to, I just got to take all these steps. I've just got to run. I've just got to, I've just got to see out this time limit. I've just, got to, I've just got to keep going and keep going and keep going. And it just becomes dreary. So people don't want to come to church because they see it as a spiritual treadmill that they have to get onto. And it feels like it's going to rob them. It feels like a scam. It feels like it's going to take their money. It's going to take their time. It's going to take their effort. And it's going to enlist them into something that they were never quite sure about from the beginning. And maybe some of you today visiting with us, perhaps maybe, maybe you feel this way, that this whole thing, it's a setup. It's another phone call from someone who saw my ad on Gumtree and just wants to take from me. So Jesus shows up here in John 10 and he says, that's what the religious people have been doing, but I am not one of those religious people. But Jesus is saying, I'm not here to take from you. I'm here to give. I'm here to give my life. I'm here to bring abundance to your life. I'm here to add to your life. I'm here to bring a fullness to your life. I'm here to fill up the, the broken parts of your life. I'm here to bring restoration. Why? Because I am the shepherd who comes via the door. The true shepherd called by God. He says this, he says, I'm here to call out my sheep. He says, the doorkeeper opens up and I go in and I call my sheep out from amongst 
my flock out from amongst the sheep. And if you, and if you look at, and, and I did a bit of study on this, and it is so interesting that there were basically two kinds of sheepfolds uh, or sheep pens that you would have in ancient times. And in Israel, if you were in the villages, one of the villages, they would have uh, almost a communal sheep pen that had loads of, uh, of sheep on the inside and different flocks. And a shepherd would bring his sheep there. He would go and rest for the night. And when he came in the morning, there would be a doorkeeper. The doorkeeper would let him in and he would walk and he would just simply call his sheep. And his sheep would know his voice. They wouldn't follow the voice of a stranger, but they know his voice and they'll follow him. And so Jesus is saying like, I'm, I'm not one of just those religious leaders that are saying, climb up this way, climb. The doorkeeper, my father has opened the door and I'm walking in and now I'm calling your name. And if you recognize my voice today, then follow me. When God speaks to your heart, my sheep know my name. I'm, I'm calling them out. Jesus says, I'm, I am the shepherd of the sheep. But then he says something that we see there that sounds a little bit different. He first says, I'm the shepherd. I call them out and they follow my voice. Then he says, I am the door of the sheep, which sounds a little bit different to what he just said because he mentioned the doorkeeper. But now he says that he is the door. And in ancient Israel, again, this would have made perfect sense in that not only did they have sheepfolds or pens within the villages with different flocks inside of that pen, but if a shepherd was, was grazing his sheep out in, you know, in the pastures somewhere, they would often build stone uh, uh, sheepfolds just out in the field. And at night, obviously, the sheep were very susceptible to predators and, uh, and to get lost and whatever. And so before dark, the shepherd would lead his sheep into the sheepfold, this low stone wall that had no door, and he would sleep in the doorway himself becoming the door. He would be the door that protects the sheep. Nobody was going to get to the sheep except by coming through Jesus. Nobody gets into the sheepfold except by coming through the door. And within that space, he is the shepherd who protects. He is the shepherd. If there's anything that wants to come into your life, it has to get through Jesus first. If there's any attack, any, any calamity, anything that, 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 that is coming against you in your life, any sickness, any, any brokenness, it needs to first get through Jesus because he says, not only am I the shepherd, but I am the door. I'm the door of the sheep. I protect my sheep. And so in Jesus, he is saying like, in Jesus we find safety, we find provision, we find protection, and, and what he does is he leads us into pastures. We'll come in, in and out. There's a, there's a freedom there. There's a, there's a grace there. There's a, hey, we don't need to worry because our shepherd is looking out for us. He is the shepherd, the good shepherd. He is the one who looks after us. We can go in and out, and we can eat of the good things that has been provided for us. And this is what Jesus is saying. I'm not here to give you a religious program. I'm not here to scam you. I'm not here to rob you. I'm here to give you good pasture. I'm here to show you good things. In Psalm 23, David writes, and, and, and he, he touches on this, and this was a foreshadowing. This was essentially a prophecy of Jesus. And it says in Psalm 23, famous, famous Psalm, verses 1 to 4, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I remember as a kid reading that and going, I don't understand why I don't want my shepherd. <laughs> but obviously, what it's saying is, I won't have any lack. I won't lack. It's like, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't want him. <laughs> David, what is wrong with you? That's why you need to know your Bible. <laughs> He's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I won't be in lack. Just think about that for your life right now. Because this is true for you. This is the moment where you realize it's for you. God is your shepherd. You will not lack. You might be in a position in your life right now where you are fearful of what you may lack in your life. And, script, and David just goes, God is my shepherd. I shall not want. I will not come short. I will not be in lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. One translation says, besides waters of rest. He restores my soul. The shepherd leads us into fields filled with restoration. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Again, this is an area or, or a sentence that I didn't quite understand fully until I realized that in Israel, the paths of righteousness is actually, it's actually a common term. It's something that was quite well known. The paths of righteousness doesn't just talk about how God will lead us in his righteousness. It's actually what they used to call the paths that were created as a shepherd led his sheep forward. And as he led them, because the sheep often would not even lift their heads, just as the shepherd moves, they would move along just grazing where they went. And, and so what a shepherd would do is if he was at the base of a hill, for example, he would lead the sheep all the way around the hill and have them eat all the way around. And when they have, had completed the circumference of that hill, they would move up a level and eat another level around. And, and, and when they had completed that, they would go up and they would feed and eat another level around. And those paths that were created were called the paths of righteousness. And eventually when the sheep look up, they're at the top of the hill. They've conquered the hill. But they didn't even know they were busy conquering the hill. All they were doing was feeding as they followed the shepherd. And as the sheep, sometimes we're trying to figure out how to get to the top of the hill too much. We're trying to figure out how to overcome the obstacles in our own strength too often. But he's the one who leads us in the paths of righteousness. What's our responsibility? Just keep eating. Just keep feeding on Jesus. Just keep feeding on the gospel. Just keep feeding on God's goodness. Just keep feeding on his grace. Just keep eating and eating. And as he leads us, just keep following and following. And before you know it, you're standing on the top of the hill. God has led you there. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Isn't it amazing to know that as we go through life and we face difficult things, hey, we don't have to fear because our shepherd is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. He lets us know, I'm with you. I'm looking out for you. 
I am your shepherd. So Jesus shows up here. He goes, I want to let you know that the Pharisees are saying, are you saying that we're blind? Are you saying that, that you know, we're the religious leaders? And he goes, no, no, no. I want you to let, to let you know that the, those that have been leading people in self-effort, they've robbed the people. I am the good shepherd. And not only that, I am the door. I am the one who protects them, who provides for them, who takes them into green pastures, who causes them to drink from waters of rest, who, who is the one who sees them through the difficult times. I am the shepherd, the good shepherd. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, we very quickly jump to just say that that means the devil. It means Satan. Man, I saw this funny picture this week. I sent it to our worship team. But like when you're sitting alone at home and you hear a noise and you're like, Satan, is that you? You know, it's just like, has that ever happened? You're like sitting at home, there's a noise. And you're like, it must be the devil. Um, so we, maybe it's just me. Some of you are looking at me seriously concerned right now. Um, but uh, what this scripture, what this, what this verse is actually showing us is not only is it the devil who steals and kills and who robs, but as people are influenced, religious leaders are influenced to look unto themselves and to point people towards themselves rather than to pointing them towards the shepherd, they're actually robbing Stealing, killing, and destroying. False doctrine, what Jesus is saying. And I'm not saying that we have a perfect doctrine or a perfect theology, but the crux of the matter is, is it about Jesus and the finished work of the cross? In other words, is it focused on the gospel? Is it gospel-centric? Or is it about self-effort? Because when it's all about you and what you have done or haven't done, you're being robbed. You've fallen amongst thieves. You're being scammed. Jesus says the thief, what the devil wants to accomplish through our lives, and sometimes he accomplishes it through religious piety, is to kill, steal, and destroy, to rob you of your life, to rob you of your joy, to rob you of your peace before God, to heap condemnation upon your life. But he says, I have come. How beautiful are these words? Jesus is saying, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Listen, if you are less free after having come to Jesus than before you came to Jesus, <laughs> there's something wrong. We need to be experiencing the life of of what it is, and, and the only way we experience it, experience it is by looking at Jesus. It's by looking at the finished works, by looking at the cross. Jesus says, he continues in John 10 verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep and runs away. So the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because he is a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. 
What's so interesting is that we read Psalm 23, written by, obviously, the psalmist, written by King David. And David himself was a shepherd. He grew up as a shepherd. And he looked after the sheep. And David was, again, a foreshadowing and an illustration or a prophecy of the good shepherd that was to come called Jesus. Because David, as a young boy, is sitting in a field looking after the sheep, and he cares for those sheep. He has taken ownership of those sheep. He loves those sheep and will offer up his life for his sheep. And so we read the famous words of David when he speaks to Saul in 1 Samuel 17 verse uh, 34. It says, David said to Saul, your servant, talking about himself, was a shepherd for my father's flock. My father's flock. Jesus came. The doorkeeper opened, said, call out your flock, my father's flock. And the lion came and the bear. I don't know where he was looking after these sheep, but it was obviously pretty intense wildlife in the region. The lion came and the bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. If I was, if I was guarding sheep and I'd been paid to guard some sheep and a lion came and picked one up and ran off with it, I'd be like, hey, have that one. That one's on me. Have a great day. Please don't come back here again. I am not pursuing that sheep. I'm not running after that lion to deliver the lamb out of the, the lion's mouth or out of the bear's mouth. I read a story, actually, a newspaper article, uh, something that happened about a month ago, where a family, a family here from this area, from Four Ways, were uh, out camping um, in a private game reserve. And they were sitting around the fire, and there was a little wall, and they had a three- or a four-year-old boy maybe he was a little bit older, can't remember exactly, that was running up and down on the wall. And the next thing, a leopard uh, jumped up and grabbed the boy and dragged him into the bush. You can go check it out. It's on the news sources or whatever. If you Google it, you'll find it. Dr started dragging, dragged this boy 50 meters through the bush. And the dad was so close by that he just, he says he's just so grateful that he was there. He was standing about three meters from the boy when, it got take, when the boy was taken. And so he jumped over the wall and just pursued this leopard, just shouting, going crazy. And, uh, and at one point, the leopard looked up, saw this man coming, saying, hey, it's not worth the effort, dropped the boy and, and left. And his son was fine. He had obviously had to go to hospital and all kinds of stuff, but he was back at school a couple of, couple of weeks later. And uh, I read this article and I just thought about, that is what a father does. I don't care what animal grabs one of my boys, whatever it is, I'm going after it. I'm going after it. And that is what this Jesus is again saying here. That is what the good shepherd David, as a faithful shepherd of his father's flock, that's what he did. He wasn't willing for one sheep to be lost. Jesus reiterates this in several different parables, how he will go after you if he needs to go after you. He will find you if you're lost. He will, he will do whatever he needs to do. He will leave 99 other sheep behind and go in search of you because he is the good shepherd who gives up his life for the sheep. Isn't it an incredible picture how Jesus will pursue us and literally snatch us out of the jaws of death to bring us home. He says, I laid down my life for the sheep. Jesus is not a fair weather friend. He's not one of those friends that are quick to proclaim their loyalty, loyalty to you until a big storm hits in your life. 
You know, until there's a, a wolf on the horizon or until the lion has you in its jaws. And then they're like, oh, such a shame what happened to such and such a person. <laughs> Jesus is not like that. He'll fight for you. He'll fight for you every step of the way. That gives me great comfort to know that whatever is coming against me in my life, Jesus is fighting for me. And if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, if he is fighting our battles on our behalf, we can rest in his faithfulness. So ultimately what Jesus is saying is, he says that the hirelings, the, the religious folk, they, they don't care about the people. But I care about you. And if there's anything I want you to know today, it's that Jesus cares about you. He laid down his life for his sheep so that we would not be lost. And if we carry on reading in this passage in verse 28, he says, no one will snatch my sheep from my hand. No one will snatch my sheep from my hand. He says, the father is greater than all and no one snatches one of the father's sheep. No one can take you out. When you're in the sheepfold of God, there is nothing that can remove you from the hands of God. He is holding on to you. You're not holding on to him. That also gives me great comfort because I know that my own strength fails, but God is the one who holds on to you. So Jesus is the shepherd and he is the door of the sheep. He's not a hireling. He's not in this part-time. It's not an internship. He's not trying to enlist you to the latest fitness craze. He's not trying to get you to jump up some other way. He places himself as the door of the sheep. He lies in the place of danger as our protection. He puts himself, he gives up his own life so that you may have a life of abundance. That you may have life and have it abundantly. He doesn't want you to just have an average life. He wants you to have an abundant life, a full life, a life that knows the provision of God and the presence of God, the protection of God and the purpose of God. That's the kind of life that God has for you. Our job is to let Jesus do what he came to do and just enjoy his presence. Just feed on his goodness. Just fix our eyes on our shepherd. Just follow in his footsteps as he leads us in the paths of righteousness. Let Jesus do the worrying about your life. You know, the scripture says that even now in heaven, he is constantly interceding for us. In other words, Jesus is praying for you right now. You might not be praying for yourself. It's a good idea to pray for yourself. But, you, but even if you aren't, Jesus is praying for you. He's watching you get up in the morning. He's going, I've got good things. I want them to know the good things. I want them to know the plans that I have. I want them to know the ways in which I want to enrich and bless and use you in your life. I want you to, to experience a depth and a wealth that is far greater than external wealth, but something rich and pure that God does on the inside of your heart. You recognize the gospel and you go on a journey with Jesus. You face the challenges of life. You learn to trust your shepherd and he does something inside of you that is so, so valuable. Isn't it incredible to know that we have a good shepherd? 
Come on. We have a good shepherd that lays down his life for us. He is the door. Nothing is going to come into your life that will be able to destroy you because the shepherd is the door that protects us.